Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We want to talk today about technology, and technology not just in the cool ways that technology makes our lives easier and things go faster, but technology in what it asks of us. Think of the things that we give up in terms of privacy when we use Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any other social media platform. Think of the kinds of data we spread around on the internet when we purchase things from Amazon or other online services. This is a trade-off. It's a two-way kind of relationship. We're getting something, no question. We're getting something very valuable from the ease of the internet and commerce and social interaction. But we are also giving up something. We are also saying that uh, the things about us that we might cherish and hold most sacred could be available to lots of other people. Think of the instances in your life where you put a credit card number into a website or when you tell a social media platform where you went to high school, where you live, or who your friends are. Those are all examples of the ways in which we share our data. We share personal experiences and information about ourselves, and sometimes we just don't even think about it. My personal experience with this is kind of complicated. I'm somebody who uses social media, and I'm definitely somebody who purchases things over the internet a lot. And a couple years ago, I kind of reached this new state of thinking about all of this. Rather than worrying about where my data was, who was using it, or what harm that might bring to me, I just said, you know, this is something we can't get away from. This is something we can't change about our society or ourselves, and I just can't worry a whole lot about what's out there about me. I just can't worry a whole lot about whether Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook are selling information about me to other people. I can't worry about whether Amazon has my credit card numbers. Uh, The other day I went into Amazon and realized that they had lots of credit card numbers dating back years for me. I think you have to reach a point at some point where you say that's just life and it's part of the risk that we all assume for the things that we enjoy. How do you deal with that, though? What do you make available about you on the Internet, on social media, or on sites where you purchase goods or services? Are you somebody who's really careful to not share too much about yourself? Are you somebody who makes sure there are airtight passwords that lock away information that you don't want other people to have? Or are you just embracing this as part of being a human being, an American especially, in the 21st century? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And of course, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you do. How do you protect yourself online? How do you protect yourself on social media and consumer service uh, websites, uh, goods that you might purchase? Are you somebody who is worried about this or are you somebody who is absolutely leaning in and saying, this is just the way life is? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. 
And we want to begin the conversation today talking about data as a commodity. This idea that the things that we hold sacred about ourselves, the information about ourselves, is not just uh, something we share with each other. It's something that companies take from online sites and make money off of. Surveillance capitalism. It's a term that was coined by Shoshana Zuboff, and it's exploded in the last two decades. And it's largely taking place without consumers' full knowledge. Joining us now to talk about that is Dr. Ruman Chowdhury. She's a data scientist and the global lead for Responsible AI at Accenture Applied Intelligence. Dr. Chowdhury, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's start with the ways that our privacy is being compromised by the things we use every day. I, I always get the sense that it's being compromised in ways that maybe we haven't even thought of yet. So compromise is such an interesting word. There's a fundamental gap between the incentive structures that corporations have on our data. So, for example, we think we've been getting things for free, all of the apps we've downloaded, the services we use, but we've not. We've been paying with our data. So it's interesting to use the word compromise because that's always been the implicit contract, except that we were not aware of it. Now we are increasingly aware and yes, there is so much use of our data. And, and the thing is, what people are realizing, and this is the surveillance capitalism discussion that Zuboff has so appropriately phrased and coined and, and outlined in her book, there's so much that's out of our control. We like to think that, oh, what we have to do is just post on social media less. But guess what? If you look up Facebook shadow profiles, they can, with about 80% accuracy, figure out who you are, even if you've never been on Facebook because of geolocation, because of your web, your uh, cookie browser history, because of friends who tag you in photos, they can figure out who you are. So the scary part is not just what we share, but what we've shared unknowingly or, and that this entire market for buying and selling data about us. So who is profiting off of that information? I mean, this is not all being done for no reason. It's that companies can make money by knowing more about us and by selling that information uh, on the Internet and in other places. Uh, who are the people who are making money off of this? So, yes, there are companies that consolidate, aggregate, and sell data. But fundamentally, the entire backbone of the tech industry is based on giving us things free because they use our data for other purposes. So one can say this is the revenue model of Facebook. This is the revenue model you know, for, of a lot of companies. Twitter, etc. Why can we just go on Twitter and start an account for free? Like, because we're so enamored of it, we've never actually stopped to ask why. And you know, and, and interestingly, there's that phrase in Silicon Valley: "If you don't know what the product is, the product is you." This is where we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what about the way that I have described myself? in dealing with all of this. Instead of sitting around and worrying about how much information I'm sharing or what's being done with that information uh, or how vulnerable I might be, I decided a few years ago that I this was just a part of modern life and that uh, to enjoy the things that I want to enjoy, to have the conveniences I want to have, that's part of the trade-off. Is, is that a responsible way to, to deal with this? Is that a reasonable way to go about uh, managing well, these things? Well, it's, it's interesting that you've used words 
as if you have agency and choice. (laughs) Because how this data is being used about you limits your agency and choice. So you can say, I don't care if I go to a restaurant where they're using facial recognition, or I don't care if I give my information to 23andMe or any of the genetic testing companies. Maybe you will care when your insurance premium goes up because they've tracked what you ordered at that restaurant and they realize you've been ordering hamburgers and via 23andMe, they know that you have a predisposition for heart disease. Therefore, your insurance premium is going to go or you won't even get insured because we do live in the United States. Will you care then? Well, I, I would I would care very much. But, but is that... Is that the level to which these things are being yes. looked at and, and oh, discussed? Is that a reality absolutely. today? So, yeah, New York State has approved the right of insurers to use social media in determining insurance rates as long as they can, quote, prove it's not biased. But bias isn't the issue. I mean, it is an issue, something I look at very deeply. But the fundamental question is, should insurance companies use social media so if they see you post a picture where you're smoking or around people who are smoking or you're doing dangerous things when you're doing extreme traveling or you're going you're gonna to do the 20 burger challenge at some restaurant, do they then have the right to raise your insurance rates? I'll give you another one. Um, John Hancock has a new set of insurance that they're offering and they're going to be transitioning all their insurance where you have to wear like, a, like a, a health tracking monitor, like a Fitbit kind of thing. Wow. And they will get real-time data on everything you're doing and adjust your fees. So not only is it a possibility, it is a reality at the moment. And, and so that, what you're saying there really also raises uh, the specter of there being different levels of concern with regard to privacy. One is my own individual choice or agency, as you put it, uh, to be able to make this information available or not. But the other seems to be uh, a question of regulation, right? Uh, Even if Mm -hmm. I choose to share that information about myself or if somebody is able to get it, what can they do with it? That's that's more of a government concern. Absolutely. And you're you're touching on exactly what all of this narrative is about. It's about privacy, ownership, and rights over our data. So, you know, currently we have differing levels of privacy all around the world. So, for example, in Europe, you have the right to be forgotten and the right to not be found. We don't have that in the United States. You have the right to actually get all of the information a company has on you. There's a really great article written by a reporter, I believe for The Guardian, who would ask Tinder for all the information Tinder had on her. They sent 800 pages of intimate text, messages, stuff that she had actually forgotten she had done years ago, or messages she had sent or things she had said. And Tinder had all of it. And but we, we have no such right in the U.S. We don't have the ability to go to Facebook. And even, by the way, if you deleted your Facebook account today, it would have all your, you know, this is not, to, this is not just to pick on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. They would have all of your historical information to do with what they wish. And so what's the answer then, right? Uh, is the answer to say that as individuals we need to take more agency over these things and make sure that that data is not out there? Or is it a collective question about what our rights are and whether we need to have a bigger conversation about those rights and maybe beef them up uh, as they pertain to these companies that, that use this data? Right. And, you know, this is sort of me speaking from my perspective, not necessarily on behalf of Accenture. I personally think that 
we, we do need improved rights. You know, we, we do need to have more control and agency over our data. I'll, I'll give you a kind of another phrase I ran across the other day. Um, back to this notion of, like, free apps and th- things we think we're getting for free. There's an entire market around the use of baby apps. So, you know, if you know anybody who's had a child recently, there's so many apps to help you help new parents with tracking baby sleep cycle, babies first, et cetera. Um, there's also all these baby monitors, et cetera. There is now something known as the quantified baby market hmm. where people have data on infants and they are using this to be able to sell products to parents. And then over time, as these babies become, become teenagers, become adults, have the entire life history. And then when we think about the concept of agency, what agency does an infant have to make decisions and choices? So it, it is, to your point, like it, I think it is a government issue. It is a collective issue where we are not currently empowered. We couldn't even take the steps, even if we collectively wanted to. So we do need to be empowered to do it. So one way people are thinking about it is how do we monetize on our own data? So how could I maybe get to pick and choose who gets to use my data and get paid accordingly. Um, that's one thing. On, that's one thing people are thinking about. Um, but there is this fundamental issue with where all this data lives, who owns the rights over, and how do I even know? Even before we start to create rights, etc., who is the trustworthy body? Who do we trust to do this? And implicitly, because we're just going to have to believe that they're doing the right thing. Hmm. I can't see it. Follow it. I'm talking with Dr. Rahman Chowdhury. She's a data scientist and the global lead for responsible AI at Accenture Applied Intelligence. We're talking about the idea of data privacy. Think of all the things that we share purposely or inadvertently when we interact with social media on uh, the Internet, when we interact with people who want to sell us things uh, online. Uh, What happens to that data and what do companies who collect that data do with it? Uh, They sell it uh, and they make money off of it. But should we be having a conversation about their right to do that? Should we be having a conversation about our rights to be free from being the product uh, of some of these sites and apps on our phones and on our computers? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Let us know how you handle privacy online. How do you protect your data? And do you worry about what's being done with the data that you are sharing with uh, Facebook or other social media platforms with Amazon or other sellers online? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Kenneth uh, on Twitter, who says, similar to phone, water, roads, and electricity, these are vital utilities that we all use, Facebook and Twitter too, and they should be managed like they are utilities. This data should be managed by the public, regardless of who coined the idea or designed the tool. Uh, Dr. Chowdhury, that is a really interesting idea, uh, the, the, the idea of these as public goods and public commodities, uh, we would have to change an awful lot, though, in our society for these uh, services and and companies to be treated that way. Oh, absolutely. And I think the fundamental issue is Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, never said they owed us anything. These are for-profit corporations. We're, we're sort of imposing 
the responsibilities of government on an organization that actually never signed up for it. So the fundamental issue, and, and what, what this person's getting at, is there, there needs to be some sort of collective ownership, but how do we arrive at that given the sort of tensions of, of capitalism, essentially? Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We've already got a bunch of people lined up to talk about <laughs> this subject. Uh, Mahin and Novi, welcome to Detroit Today. What's on your mind? Hello. Hi, how are you? Uh, how are you? Good. Thank you for your taking my call. And I would agree 100% with your initial comments that how much of your time you waste in protecting yourself against these systematic privacy breach. And two things, very briefly, I'll tell you, has helped me to cope up with the new norm on the society. One of them is it has helped me to minimize my privacy at all. Everything is transparent except for the financial transactions. So it narrows down my area of protection. And the second thing, which is very important part of my personality is that I don't bother whether it's a business or any transaction. What others gain, I focus on what is my gain. Hmm. Hmm. I that's a really interesting uh, comment. I'm glad you called to share that. Uh, again, Dr. Chowdhury, is that is that a reasonable position to take, that, that uh, we just don't have to worry as much about these things uh, because we can't control them? Uh, it's a matter of taking agency where we can, in small ways perhaps, to prevent the worst from happening. Well, the problem is that this will increasingly be used in ways that fundamentally impact our lives. And it will be too late at that point, at the point in which, you know, the, the government gets to tell you where you can and cannot live based on actions you took 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it, it's going to be too late. When a bank says you're a high risk for a loan because I looked at your social media, um, it will be too late. So, you know, we, we shouldn't act as if we cannot do anything. There's plenty we can do and say, and there's a lot of ease for because it will be taken away from us. Hmm. So, so uh, Dr. Chowdhury, what's the scariest thing that you can think of on today's privacy landscape that, that we should all maybe be sitting up in bed in the middle of the night thinking about how to solve? I mean, what's the, what's the worst-case well, scenario you can think of? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to fear monger. My, my goal always with my role is to empower people and give them agency and things to think about and things they can do. But w- what, I'll, what I'll say is there's often a fundamental misunderstanding about how our data is used. And I think, you know, with all respect to our previous caller, he suffers from that same thing. We view data as transactional. We think of it as, oh, I sign up, you know, for your like newsletter on your website, and then I get 10% off my offer. And we've agreed to this compact where you use and you'll occasionally send me spammy emails. We think of data in a very linear transactional way, and that is no longer how it is used. People will use things like your GPS tracker on your phone combined with their knowledge of where you work, combined with where your friends live, to identify if you're actually exercising. That is the way these things are used. So this is not to say people should be up at night worrying, but just be cognizant and understand how the data is used. So right now, companies hoard data. They don't always know how it's going to be used. So there's the phrase data is the new oil. 
I use the phrase data is in the periodic table. Mm. You can combine it in all these different ways. So you can combine hydrogen and oxygen and make water. You can split, you know, you can also use hydrogen to make an atomic bomb. The point is not I gave you in my GPS information. That means you can physically track me. It means that you can use this in any way possible. So rather than thinking of data as this linear transaction, there are all of these ways we combine data to get relationships. Okay, Dr. Ruman Chowdhury, data scientist and global lead for responsible AI at Accenture Applied Intelligence. It was really great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Up next, we are going to continue our conversation about privacy and the Internet, uh, how we protect our data. We're going to talk with a New York Times technology reporter about her recent investigation into location tracking through smartphone apps. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Charlie in Detroit, Elizabeth and Canton Leonard in Detroit. We will get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We're talking about the intersection between data and privacy, uh, the idea that we share so much about ourselves online, sometimes willingly, sometimes inadvertently. But regardless of the means by which we share that information, there are people waiting out there to collect it and make it into a commodity to sell that information. Is that something we should be really concerned about? Should we be more careful about what we share online? Should we be more aggressive in the way that we ask government to determine what people can do with the information we give them? That's what we're talking about. And we want to hear from you. How do you protect yourself online? How do you protect your data? How do you protect things that you would choose not to share with other people or companies uh, to make sure that uh, they're not profiting off of things that uh, you don't want out there. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. We want to shift just a little bit in the conversation and focus for a little on the idea of location tracking, which is another big money part of data commoditization. In 2018, sales of location-targeted advertising reached $21 billion. IBM and Foursquare have gotten into the business, and there are big-time investors, including Goldman Sachs. In some cases, a person's whereabouts may be updated 14,000 times a day. Joining us now to talk more about location tracking and location tracking as it relates to data privacy is Jennifer Valentino DeVries. She's a reporter on the investigative team at the New York Times. She specializes in technology coverage. Her reporting has also focused on privacy, computer security, and the law. Jennifer, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. So what apps are we talking about here when we talk about location tracking? There are My phone uh, tells me all the time that I can turn on location services, but I have to be honest, I'm not really sure which apps are using that service uh, to, tell, uh, to tell people where I am all the time. Right, and I think that that is um, a position that a lot of consumers find themselves in. It's difficult to know um, which apps are sharing and selling this data. Um, a lot of the apps that we found doing this were in um, certain categories um, where you might think it would be natural to turn on location sharing all the time. So, for example, a lot of weather apps. Um, apps for traffic and parking um, and, and things like that where you really might want location on um, a considerable amount of the time, um, that is actually very valuable for the companies that collect location data. If they can strike a deal with one of these apps um, that you're naturally going to give your location to, then um, you know they will be more likely to be able to gather location, whereas if they're trying to get um, that information from something like a flashlight app or, um, you know, solitaire game, people will be more likely to look at that and think, why do they want my location and not agree to give it up? Um, so, so that's what we found, those broad categories. But really, you have to look at each individual app, and these privacy policies can change all the time. So it's tough to, you know, in fact, provide a, a list. And, and so is this a question of how you opt in or decide to opt out? I mean, again, I don't, I don't often get asked by the apps on my phone whether I want them tracking my location, is my downloading of that app and the use of that app and turning on the location services on my phone, is that considered the consent that they need? Um, so on both um, types of um, phones now, Android and, and iPhone, um, you know, they do ask for consent, but it might just be when you're installing the app um, on Android. And they have... Um, Settings that you can go to on the phone that, you know, I don't, I'm not going to bog down your listeners with this, but um, you, you can go on there and see which apps are collecting your location at this point. And I think one of the big questions is that you can't really tell if they're then selling it. I think that's the toughest thing. To, to figure that out, you'd have to read through these huge privacy policies and understand that language, which, I mean, Nobody, even I talk to lawyers and they don't, they don't understand this. So um, it's pretty tough for people. But you can go, um, and in our article, we, you know, we had a separate thing that kind of tried to walk people through this. And, um, you know, you can kind of Google around for instructions on it. But um, you, you can see which is collecting your location. You just don't then know if they're sharing it. Hmm. And, and what's valuable about my location data? I mean, I, I, I see how... Uh, there, there are uh, ways to match that data up with some other data about me, perhaps, to, to be able to sell me something. But, but inherently, my location data is, is, is valuable to whom and for what reason? So there are a few companies that are using this. Um, I think the most common one is for targeted advertising, like you said. And what they're what those companies are able to do is see, you know, if you um, 
go to an elementary school in the morning, and then you go to an office building, and then you go to the gym later, and then you go back home, they might classify you as a working parent and then target ads to you based on your location. So you can, in fact, create a a pretty good profile of somebody um, based on where they go day in and day out. Um, It reveals a lot of information about you, and that is, of course, valuable to marketers. One of the most interesting things we found was that there are other companies such as hedge funds that are using this data, and they might use it to see, for example, um, if there are a lot of people going into a certain store, um, they would then consider investing in that store before that store reports its earnings to the stock market, right? Or if they see a lot of people on an assembly line or in some sort of factory, they might know that that company is ramping up production and maybe it would be worth investing in. Um, So there's a lot of value uh, hidden within this location data. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us how you manage data security and privacy on the Internet. Do you worry about what's being done with the information about you that is out there, either information that you shared with an app uh, or a service or information that just uh, comes to them from some of the other things that you do? Uh, you can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Elizabeth in Canton, welcome to Detroit Today, and what's on your mind? Uh, Yes, I have have kind of a strange situation. I had invited my nephew in from Kansas City when he was 10 years old uh, to take a soccer camp at Schoolcraft. Uh, Since I was working and chose to work half days, that was why I had him there. Well, I had moved three times, well, actually four times due to getting married, and here it was like 22, 23 years later, this kid had grown up, completed college, was cleared out in Phoenix, Arizona, actually got a law degree. And here we get a letter for him. And again, we had moved four times. Wow. He grew up in Wichita, <laughs> had completed KU, was a law degree and was in Arizona, and we're getting a letter for him. Wow. Wow. Elizabeth, that is pretty, that's pretty amazing. Um, (laughs) Jennifer Valentino DeVries, I wonder, is it, is it that that there's a lingering effect of having that information out there? I mean, that Elizabeth's story seems almost unimaginable in terms of, again, the value of this kind of information to, to, to the people who run these, these apps and, and companies. Well, it is really funny um, that your caller mentions that, and uh, I know it sounds unbelievable, and it is a bit unusual, perhaps in terms of the length of time um, over which this happened, but um, this kind of data linking has been going on behind the scenes even before um, the revolution in smartphones and apps, and those have kind of just... um, kicked it into super high gear, but um, catalog companies and direct mailing companies um, have kept lists of people, you know, their address lists and tried to link them up um, for for many years. And I think some of the um, 
some of the techniques involved in profiling people and putting them into categories and figuring out where they live, um, those have been developing over a long time, even offline. You know, that's where they, they started, um, you know, with, with that type of marketing. So I think lists that link people's address and, and link um, family members to each other and can get pretty complicated, those are definitely out there. And it sounds like that's probably mm. what happened in, in, in her case, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth, again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Akshata in Lake Orion. Akshata, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. Very good show. I, I'm a big fan of your Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. So, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So I called in terms of um, the uh, location service app. So I'm a mother of two, and my second one is a little daughter, like a baby, an infant. So, And I'm also a student at Wayne State University. So based on my location, uh, I get advertised for fitness apps that I can try at home because I also tend to go to the gym and maybe location service is on. <laughs> but I was... So my concern is not the product that is being advertised to me because I would, if the product suits my lifestyle and if it suits me, then I would take it. But what is annoying is if my information is uh, shared with uh, some other, if it gets into the wrong hands, because I always get calls from these insurance companies, which are like fake calls. And that's my concern. So if the product is based on my lifestyle, then it's fine, but I just don't want it to get into the wrong hands. You feel like they're getting it wrong, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting <laughs> dynamic to to interject here, uh, Jennifer Valentino DeVries. How, how how valuable is this info? Uh, given that, you know, I guess there are still some assumptions that have to be made about people, even when you know where they are. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it's there's a question about how valuable it is. I think right now um, advertisers are placing a good deal of value on it. There's a scramble to kind of figure out how best to market to people and really um, figure things out about them and, and reach them where they, where they are. Um, and but the thing is, you know, a lot of times it is off. You know, I, have had looked at my profiles before and been identified as a you know man who works in technology and <laughs> you know a 65 year old person and I'm you know not that age and I, it's just sometimes not correct and I think a lot of people have had that experience um, and I, but I also think that um, you know you raise the point that. Uh, that some people are completely fine with this targeting as long as it's accurate, but then you don't know what happens to the information afterward. Um, there aren't really any regulations on that as long as it's um, as long as you've consented, you know, in the beginning to to sharing your data, and there aren't any rules about when the data has to be deleted. Um, some of the companies we looked at kept it just indefinitely, so which basically means forever and you have no control over it. You can't, it's tough for you to go and find these companies and ask them to delete your data. They, they really wouldn't, um, you know, be able to do that in most cases. Um, so it's a, it's a really important question, I think. Yeah. Okay. Jennifer Valentino DeVries, reporter on the investigative team at the New York Times. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
Thank you. All right, up next, we're going to talk with a local security expert who's going to sit down and talk to us about some things we can do to protect ourselves against digital threats. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We are talking this hour about the data that we share inadvertently or sometimes on purpose online with apps like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. The data we share with Amazon when we buy that set of paper towels uh, that we don't want to run out to the store to get. That data doesn't just sit with those uh, services or those companies. They take it and they sell it. And they use it as ways to try to sell you other things or to learn more things about you. Is that okay? Is that just part of modern life here in America? Or is that something we should be really concerned with and moving to try to have more control of? We want to talk now about specifically what what kind of things we can do to shield ourselves against that flurry of constant tracking and data mining. Uh, Kevin Hayes uh, is the uh, uh, he's a chief information security officer with merit.edu and he is here to fill us in on ways we can be more vigilant. Kevin, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you very much. Good morning. Yeah. So, a recent study revealed that many Michigan workers are leaving themselves and their employers vulnerable online. Um, uh, Michiganders scored an unimpressive 37.1% uh, in the test of like how, how well you keep your data secure. This was an online test of 2,900 office workers. That's a pretty bad score. What are we doing wrong? Well, for the most part, people still, even, even today in, in 2019, you know, have – not a very good idea of what it means to keep your information and data secure online. Uh, you know, you're talking a lot about this earlier in the program, but at the end of the day, you know, people don't really have that good correlation between, you know, their own personal uh, activities and the things they do in their personal life and the fact that a lot of things on the internet, once they're on the internet, they're there forever. You you can't get rid of them ever. And, you know, that kind of persistence isn't normally something that, you know, anyone really thinks about on a regular basis. You know, just the fact that, you know, one mistake that you could make 10 years ago will literally can come back to haunt you at any possible time in the future. And there's not that much you can do about that, uh, you know, uh, unless you're talking about, you know, just trying to be vigilant at the time, which is very, very difficult. So what are some of the simple ways we can protect ourselves against tech companies that are mining our accounts and the things that we do looking for this data. So the the best thing that I tell people to do is you know you really want to minimize where you can the the amount of things that you know you're you're providing your information to. You know it's all about you know, like reducing the scope that you know potentially either uh, you know attackers can come in and steal that data or companies themselves can come in and decide to monetize and take your data. It's really like basically two different attackers that could come in, I guess if you want to call, you know, Amazon and Google attackers. Um, but in addition to, uh, you know, kind of reducing that scope, um, 
a lot of, uh, you know, some tech companies have, have started to hear, you know, basically the cries of consumers saying, please stop following me. Please stop, you know, taking my data. And one great example of that is the Firefox web browser um, actually has uh, uh, security features that are now built in to kind of segregate data away from, uh, from a lot of uh, uh companies that may try and uh, take that data. It's called a compartmentalization. Fancy word. Basically, if you want to use Facebook, fine, you can use Facebook. But you know, the, your web browser will actually take that and shove that all aside separately so you can browse Facebook. You can you know, comment on pictures. You can talk to people. But then whenever you browse the internet over in all of your other tabs, it's not going to share that data. So when you're actually you know, going to news websites, when you're doing anything else on the internet, those cookies out there that are, that, that are watching you, they're not quite able to track you, know, you as a person with regards to your Facebook account. So that kind of like separa separation and segregation is really starting to come into play hmm. as people are demanding more and more privacy features. Yeah. Because you know, we're, we're seeing you know, you know, data breaches and data leaks you know, at an increasing pace. And it, it's becoming it's becoming more visible. People are actually seeing, hey, wait a second, there's a lot of information out there about me. And whether it's you know uh, whether it's stolen via an attacker or just you know a company is just being uh, a little less than vigilant, uh, this is my information out there, and I want to make sure that I have some semblance of control over it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Christina in Gross Point. Christina, welcome to Detroit today. You there? Christina. Nope, I don't know. I don't think we have Christina. Uh, let's go to Jay in Royal Oak. Jay, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Um, I'll try to be quick. I just want to say your show and your reputation. I think you deserve a full two-hour segment. Uh, every morning. <laughs> that would be a lot more work for me, Jay. Well, but yeah, I appreciate right. the sentiment. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> go ahead with your question. So I think we've all experienced, you know, um, searching for things and then having the targeted ads. What I think people are finally hoping to start realizing is that 1984 is telling us exactly where this is going. You know, the full scope of surveillance and targeted advertising. Um, uh, Shoshana Zuboff has a book about uh, surveillance capitalism, you know, and that's mm -hmm. just the tip of the iceberg because this is full control of everything we say and do and what we can and cannot have or access at, at probably a very near point in the future. And that's, that's the scariest thing I've ever heard of. And certainly with the, uh, with the coming of 5G, that's going to infinitely increase the speeds at which we are able to be monitored. That's what we should all be worried about and calling our Congress people about to say, hey, I'm not okay with this and I need some privacy and I don't want you controlling every single aspect of my life, not just, you know, um, <laughs> products and stuff, but, you know, certainly even towards government and, and you know, voting and, and things like that. So. Sure. You know, it's a slippery slope. and you Boy, know, that's a really dark image to invoke there, Jay, of uh, 1984, uh, which is uh, a very dystopian <laughs> book by George Orwell. Uh, Kevin Hayes, are, are we really in that territory? Is that what we should be worried about? It definitely is something that we should keep in the back of our minds because it's a lot of really great points. Um, think about it. If you literally wanted to be not tracked and be off the grid – 
um, you know, and, and really take privacy seriously. How would you really be able to do that in today's day and age? You know, it's, it's going to be, you know, extremely difficult, if not impossible. Um, you know, most, most of our banking is performed electronically and online. Um, you know, we, we know that, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, either public or private security cameras, those are typically all over the place. Um, there's, there, there's just simply a lot of distributed, and this is kind of where I want to emphasize, there's a lot of distributed monitoring going around. And, you know, thinking about, okay, if for some reason, uh, you know, all this would start to come together, then, you know, then we start thinking a lot, a little bit more about, you know, real serious privacy concerns. Um, where we have seen uh, some, uh, some action actually here, uh, you know, over in Europe, they have their GDPR, uh, the General Data Privacy Regulations that have come into effect. And, uh, you, know, with, uh, you know, with what happened in Europe in, in the latter part of the, uh, of the 20th century, you know, um, privacy and the ability to control your own data information and the right to be forgotten um, is very, very critical to them. So that's why, you know, in, in the course of the past year or two, a lot of U.S. companies have actually gone through a lot of efforts to try and make sure that their own systems uh, support the kinds of requirements that, that Europe has provided because you know, European customers are customers too and we want to, you know, if we have a global presence, we want to make sure that we support that. And that's actually the reason why almost any website that you go on now, uh, you know, you'll go and a little uh, message box will come up from the top or bottom says, hey, here's our privacy policy and hey, like, you know, we give, you know, we put cookies on your, on your browser and your computer. You're like, click here to accept this. That is all a direct consequence of, uh, of Europe's GDPR regulations. And I know that there are uh, some initial efforts underway in a couple of U.S. states in order to, uh, to, to put forward uh, regulation and legislation on, on very, uh, very similar kinds of privacy controls. And I can definitely say that, you know, especially once that starts happening in a couple of states, you'll see all, a lot of the big players uh, in the United States, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, the, the Apples, the Amazons. I mean, typically they, they want to have one, one standpoint for all 50 states and, and the entire world for that matter. So you'll, I, I believe that we'll end up seeing a, a lot better control uh, in the near future as we try and figure out exactly what that kind of legislation looks like, what it means to be able to say, hey, like I, wanna, I, I, I want people to you know, forget about my online presence. I don't want you to track me. Like what kinds of you know, technological things need to be there for that to happen? Uh, these are discussions that are happening right now, and, and, and that d- does give me optimism for the future. So Julie on Facebook says, Facebook is still mining data from your cell phone. I had a neighbor text me the other day about city activity on our street. When I logged on to Facebook an hour later, she popped up as a friend suggestion. That's kind of creepy. Aaron on Facebook says, I work uh, in marketing for a global tech company. We have no choice or agency. It doesn't matter what we do to protect ourselves. It's impossible without regulation on the companies that exploit our data. Uh, let's uh, go back to the phones here. Christina in Gross Point is back with us. Uh, Christina, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, uh, Hi. Stephen. Love your show. Thank Faithful you. listener. And I just had a quick question. Um, I use Chrome's Incognito to, to browse, thinking that it helps me. And I wondered, how much does this really help protect me? And I'll take my answer offline. Hmm. Uh, that's a great question, Christina, this idea that you can... Uh, use a setting on the browser to make sure that people are not getting as much information about you as they might like. Kevin Hayes, does that work? It absolutely does. Um, and it's it's a great way to, at least in part, 
uh, make sure that you know certain aspects of what you're doing when you're online are not going to be tracked. Typically, a lot of people aren't going to do all their browsing within private windows or you know you know protected browsing. Uh, but what ends up happening when you end up launching that that separate session? Uh, the browser is going to uh, not use any of those little tracking cookies. And I always think of uh, those tracking cookies, you know, when you go to like Amazon or Facebook or anything, they're just little like post-it notes that like all those companies are basically putting on you from time to time. And, and, and there's not much in those little post-it notes, usually just a little ID number. But as you travel around the internet, then all of a sudden, you know, Amazon and Google and, and everybody else are able to basically read those little post-it notes and figure out exactly what's going on with you. When you go over into like a private browsing or incognito mode, uh, those little uh, those little sticky notes they don't they don't stick they don't transfer over they don't stay on you and because of that it becomes a lot more difficult it's not impossible uh, but it's a lot more difficult for those uh, for those companies to uh, uh, to much more reliably track what you're doing and where you're going um, and and I say that you know when you're using those services it's not that you're completely invisible from absolutely everything. I mean, if you think that you're going to do some like kind of like really like illicit activity or things that you're not supposed to, just simply opening up a, a private browser incognito tab isn't going to save you there. I mean, your your activity, uh, you know, can still be uh, technically uh, subpoenaed via law enforcement uh, from uh, you know from the destination from wherever you go. Hmm. So there, there there are still some some legal risks there. So again, don't think that you can just do whatever you want within those uh, within those private browsers. But if you're looking to uh, to, to really uh, narrow down uh, the kinds of information that is shared about you and tracked about you, absolutely, I, I use that, and especially if I'm like buying gifts for people and I don't want all of a sudden, you know, hey, like I'm going to buy this gift for someone and then, you know, uh, you know, I buy it and then, you know, they're, they're watching over my shoulder later and then they see a wonderful Amazon ad for that exact same thing that I already bought them over my shoulder. Um, you know, that kind of just ruins the surprise right there. So uh, absolutely, uh, 100% uh, think that that is a great thing for people to be doing on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. uh, quickly, let's get to Ryan on the east side. Ryan, I've got about 30 seconds left, but uh, I wanted to get to you here. Hey, good morning. Um, mm -hmm. What I wanted to just say is uh, I want to show the intersection between what's going on online and what may be going on in Detroit specifically uh, with the Greenlight campaign where I listened to uh, – the, the mayor's uh, speech, yeah. uh, the state of the city speech, and, you know, he plans on putting thousands of cameras up in the All over in the, the city. Yeah. Ryan, that's yeah, a great, yeah. that's a really great point. Uh, again, we don't have very long, Kevin, but that intersection between government and private companies, that's something that seems we should be concerned about. It is. And again, this is just where we have to decide, you know, as a, you know, as a city and as a state and as a, as a society, like where, where do we really want to end up drawing that line? How much do we end up trusting each other? You know, how, uh, how can we end up using that data? And, uh, you know, how do we want to protect ourselves moving forward? Okay. Kevin Hayes, Chief Information Security Officer with Merit.edu. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. My pleasure to do it for us today. We want to thank associate producer Sydney Spa for her help producing this segment today. Great work. Uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. I'll speak with you again tomorrow.